Welcome to Power Surge from the Center for Industrial Progress. I'm Alex Epstein, coming to you from Orange County, joined by Stefan Hen from Germany. Stefan, welcome. Hello, everyone. All right, we're getting a bit of a late start today, so tons of interesting stuff to talk about in the news, but I figure I'll talk, we'll talk about a story from yesterday, or an, uh, which is Hank Paulson, former Bush Treasury Secretary, has an op-ed in the New York Times. What is Hank Paulson teaching us, Stefan? Yeah, so the former Secretary of the Treasury um, is allying with the global warming alarmists, and um, he claims that this is another a big crisis where government action, like the one he initiated with the 2008 financial crisis, is warranted. And um, well, I just read some quotes from the article, so we can have an impression of what he's telling us. Quote, I was Secretary of the Treasury when the credit bubble burst, so I think it's fair to say that I know a little bit about risk, assessing outcomes and problem solving. Looking back at the dark days of the financial crisis in 2008, it is easy to see the similarities between the financial crisis and the climate challenge we now face. Back then, we narrowly avoided an economic catastrophe at the last minute by rescuing a collapsing financial system through government action. But climate change is a more intract intractable problem. The carbon dioxide we are sending into the atmosphere remains there for centuries, heating up the planet. And um, yeah, just to throw in one more, I'm a businessman, not a climatologist, but I've spent a considerable amount of time with climate scientists and economists who have devoted their careers to this issue. There's virtually no debate among them that the planet is warming and that the burning of fossil fuels is largely responsible. So he's telling us that he's not really an expert, but uh, he sees similarities between the catastrophe and the one he has uh, helped us with. <laughs> Let's say, um, and yeah, that this is something where big government needs big solutions, and uh, he's actually in favor of a carbon tax as a main method to avoid climate catastrophe. Yeah, and I was looking at this this morning, and one one aspect of doing this daily or almost daily is that it sometimes seems like. Well, I'm just going to say the exact same thing with this I said about the Krugman piece because it's so similar. The fundamentals are so similar. Um, and what I think needs to exist, which we're working on, is just a quick little list of the common fallacies connected to uh, CO2 emissions or the climate change issue, as they call it, so that we can just see, okay, this, this one is fallacy one, this one is fallacy two, this one is fallacy three, this is all of the above. Because they're, they're just making the same point over and over with the same lack of evidence and the same manipulative techniques. Um, but by repeating it, and by repeating it confidently, it can feel like, well, this is a new piece of evidence, but it's actually a new piece of non-evidence. It's a new piece of, of manipulation. So... <clears throat> Um, let's just, let's just, as a preliminary thing, let's just say that there are three common fallacies, and I might 
I might not be able to limit myself to three, but one is, um, you know, one is what's called equivocation. So equating global warming with catastrophic global warming. So that's, that is hugely, it's a hugely important thing to be precise about exactly what we mean, especially because we're going to be, have to weigh risk against benefit all the time. So we need to be absolutely clear on what is the nature of the thing. Is it global warming? Is it catastrophic global warming? And then within that, you know, what's, what's the magnitude of each? Um, and if you notice in this piece, it is, uh, you know, enormous risks. Warning signs are clear. Uh, profound risks of doing nothing. So it seems to be catastrophic, but then he talks about he spent considerable amount of time with climate scientists and economists. We'll talk about how selective that uh, his company has been. Uh, companies and the, the people, the company he's kept, not the uh, company he used to run and its role in the financial crisis and um, the incentives of the Obama administration to get a multi-billion dollar company along with Bloomberg and Steyer, other billion sources of billions of dollars, uh, to as the three parties to come up with an agreement uh, on this issue, despite no knowledge of it, um, which is another whole issue. Um, but he says that there's no debate that the planet is warming and the burning of fossil fuels is largely responsible. So even if that was true, that has, um, and this has been demonstrated to be false, as in, as in the view of scientists has been misrepresented, the 97% thing has been completely debunked. Um, and I, I talk about that in my book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, but you can look at it all over the web. There's tons of uh, discussions of how manipulative those studies are. So anyway, he's obviously, he's going back and forth between human beings are causing warming, or even most of the warming, to it's a catastrophe. Because even if we're causing all of it, which would be pretty impressive that nature was having absolutely no temperature change whatsoever, and we were the only ones doing it, um, He's deliberately taking an easier claim to demonstrate and equating it with a claim that you can't demonstrate whatsoever, which is that there's um, uh, catastrophic. So this, this equivocation or lack of precision or manipulative language, we can call it any of those things, that's a huge fallacy. And so anytime you look at an article like this, just look, okay, is this person being clear on what the threat is, you know, what, what the risk is? And then the next thing to do um, is what is the evidence for the risk they cite? Are they citing real evidence? And they are, well, that, see, now I'm thinking of, on the spot, I'm thinking of new fallacies. But, um, you know, in terms of how they're presenting evidence, well, one thing is, you know, are they giving you an explanation of, you know, of real evidence? And then does that evidence hold up if you look into it? And on both parts, the answer is absolutely not, because the evidence cited is, is not evidence. It's simply predictions. And if you look into the, he doesn't even bother to quantify anything, but the predictions are based on, on invalidated models, as in a bunch of people tried to uh, come up with a computer program that could predict the climate based on this theory that CO2 is the major driver of climate and will lead to all sorts of consequences. That computer program... Uh, produced garbage, as in it was, it was completely wrong. It was a bad model. Um, it overpredicted by mo you know many times over. So it, and it overpredicted, no surprise, or at least no coincidence. 
And so it's just, you know, it's just like any other uh, bad predictions. You can't use it. I mean, it's like, you know, you have the local psychic and you just keep making up stuff and they're just acting on their feelings. Well, you can understand the method is not good and the results are not good. Here, if, here, if, you know, they came up with a better method, then that would, that would be different. So this is just, it's non-evidence. I mean, it's, it's the opposite of evidence, something you can count on to be uh, wrong. And so that's, that's part of it. So in, instead of, instead of offering clear, so the first thing is the, the risk is completely undefined and it is, is deliberately uh, equivocated. Then it's no real evidence. And then it's in substitute for evidence, it's authority. So, you know, instead of giving an explanation, we're going to cite an authority, which was the whole discussion of, of Krugman. Um, and the authority here is he's spent considerable amount, well, <laughs> there's his own authority, which is that he sees that he was involved in a financial crisis, as in, as in it was on his watch, and he has arbitrarily given himself credit for... Uh, <laughs> Like, if you think of the financial crisis as like a negative four in terms of the impact on life, his view is, well, that was the best that could have possibly happened. So I don't, none of the negative I get, I have responsibility for, but the fact that it wasn't a negative 10, you better thank me. So if you don't want a negative 10 in climate, listen to me, it's completely arbitrary. If you're presiding over one of the worst periods in, you know, American financial history, at least relative, you know, relative economic decline, that does not make you uh, an expert. And if you were you were blind to that, if you had that kind of lack of vision, what whatever could you have about um, you know about an issue that you have no knowledge um, of? And that's you know it's much more complicated in uh, in many ways, and where there's much less evidence. Uh, that that would be the main thing. Where there, there's not evidence that that things are getting worse in terms of climate becoming more dangerous as as we've talked about all the metrics are show that we're progressively safer from climate we're not taking a safe climate and making it dangerous we're taking a dangerous climate and making it ever uh, safer so relying on his own authority I mean, he's a really bad authority uh, to cite and even there you'd need to really explain the similarities analogies are very dangerous to just throw out there especially telling people to make you know, life-changing decisions on the basis of this very vague analogy and Part of, it, part of it is, you know, sub-fallacy here in terms of just lack of explanation, appeal to authority, is just using authoritative pseudoscientific buzzwords like climate bubble. That's not a helpful... What, what does that mean? I mean, what, what exactly is, is inflated? Um, I mean, you know, bubble is a pretty vague term by itself, but at least it has the idea of, you know, there's sort of air and it, it's... In, in a financial context, it makes a certain amount of sense, okay, it's, it's going to pop and, and it's, it's not real. But what's going to pop here, the climate thing is not, is it, just, is it just any economic growth is not real because Gaia is going to wipe it out through one giant storm? I mean, it's the, the whole, the problem, it's actually the opposite of a bubble in the sense of it's real economic growth, including real physical energy, creating real physical wealth and they're saying that's destructive but it's you know whereas the bubble is more we're engaging in all these activities that aren't creating any wealth uh, but seem like they are uh, so it's just it's just a thing to confuse you or to get woozy associations this is not the behavior of someone who actually wants to help <coughs> um all right so we've got you know the failure to find 
the risk and then not not explaining to it, appealing to authority. Oh yeah, and then and then the the who are the authorities that he uh, appeals to? Just the the people that he's talked to. But that is not that is not any kind of um, standard because was there a selection bias in the people that we've talked to? And we've already seen that what they quote unquote told him or no, there wasn't a quote what they supposedly told him was not anything re resembling catastrophe, but um, this is a just a false representation of what people in the field think. There's a, a wide variety of views in this idea that 97% of climate scientists assert that they know that over half, let's say, you know, so the major part of recent warming is man-made. That is not, uh, that's not true. So that is either he's lying or he hasn't investigated. This is part of the problem with knowing nothing about the issue and being selected for political reasons. Because as he mentioned in the article, um, you know, to add reliable financial data to the science, I've joined with former mayor of New York City, Mike Lohr Bloomberg, and retired hedge fund manager, Tom Steyer, on an economic and... I mean, what is... They're not economists. Um, and they're both you know, public ideologues and, and Tom Starr is an open, you know, disciple of Bill McKibben at this point. So this is just, uh, you know, part of it is that usually when you appeal to authority, you appeal to, um, you know, people who share congenial views. And you might say, oh, well, Paulson's a Republican, but that, you know, who knows what Republican means now. Um, he's a, clearly a statist. That is, he believes in concentration and the power of the state. And and he likes it when he is the state, when there's concentration of power in his hands. So this is uh, this is right up his alley. And and like the others during the financial crisis, he likes to invoke fear. So you know, if you don't listen to us, the world is going to end. So something's completely screwed up under our watch. So now you're afraid. And but now we're the experts, and we're gonna we're gonna give you this unlimited downside so that you're so that you listen to us, and that. That is really the similarity. If he wants to talk about a parallel, it's the same kind of fear-mongering, arbitrary fear-mongering by uh, failed individuals that occurred during the financial crisis is now occurring uh, during this you know, so-called climate crisis. If there's not a crisis, except if we take the actions that he wants to take, which leads us to, let's say, the last one, which would be the... Uh, failure to, so if we have the idea of failure to define the risk, failure to give evidence for the risk, um, then there's failure to consider the benefit of fossil fuels, or you can do the reverse, failure to consider the risk of not using fossil fuels. And Paulson, like everyone else, does not do that. The closest he says is, you know, he wants to do quote, address this issue while remaining economically competitive. They're right to consider the economic implications, but we must not lose sight of the profound economic risks of doing nothing. That is a really, I mean, as I've said before, energy is, is machine food. It's machine calories. It's what feeds the machines that make it possible uh, for human beings to live and flourish. And, and it's something that's you know, desperately needed um, in greater quantities throughout the world. So to, to just write off the issue as, okay, yeah, let's consider the risks. Now let's talk about how not to use it. Um, it's, it's very much like, I mean, he, he's basically he's saying, okay, let's, let's 
we're going to take away um, at least 80% of the fuel that you know all of our farm equipment uses. So yeah, we can talk about the risks of doing the, the, that. But yeah, now let's go into obviously we need to do it. And you say, well, no, that's a drastic uh, type of action, and you know that seems like it would be catastrophic itself. You better explain how that's the case. But he doesn't explain it, and as part of it, part of not considering the risk of his policy, he doesn't define his policy either. He just says carbon tax of some magnitude. But of course, if it was of a tiny magnitude then it wouldn't address the problem. So the magnitude needed to address the problem, in his view, is, is massive, and thus is a massive risk that he's not considering. So another way to put it is he's failing to look at the big picture. He's just, you know, he's looking at risks without considering benefit. And if you do that, you can declare anything to be bad. So this, this is yet another piece of, uh, I'm going to make this a family-friendly show. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it is intellectual garbage. It's, it's, and it's, and it's propaganda, it's manipulation. And I think that by looking at it and being able to identify the fallacies we're talking about here, not defining the risk, um, you know, appealing to authority, not giving evidence, um, not considering the benefit, you'll see that all of these things rely on the same uh, bad thinking habits or thinking policies. And it doesn't matter who does it. You know, there's just, you have to give evidence, you have to define your terms, you have to consider both benefit and risk. There's no, nobody can tell you, that it's, it's almost self-evident that, that you need to do that. And if you think about it, it I think it's, it's, it's definitely evident. So, uh, you know, when you, when you encounter these things, think about some of those categories and let me know if you find it helpful, I should I should give the information more our information more at the end of it. Um, you can can uh, well you can reach us both. Just email me um, Alex at industrialprogress.net. Stefan, any final thoughts on this? The most striking logical fallacy I think is the uh, as Paulson calls it the risk of doing nothing, which is like the reverse logical fallacy of the precautionary principle. Like the precautionary principle is often used by green activists to oppose something like nuclear power. And they then just claim that, uh, you know, with nuclear power, uh, something catastrophic can happen in a case of an accident. And then they avoid, you know, saying what this catastrophe actually is. And the same is done by Paulson when he says that, you know, doing nothing will have an unlimited negative value. And therefore, we need to do something. Uh, and then he avoids, you know, explaining exactly what the cost and benefits of doing something or doing nothing is, and all the opportunity cost of alternative things you could do. For example, with the money invested by the government, or you know, if it didn't have that regulation on energy and so on. And that's just, you know, that's a scheme used to avoid any discussion about any details of cost and benefit. In the big picture, and that's really if if you influence people's life in this really big fashion, you owe the public an explanation of why you think that's necessary. And he completely avoids it. He just says something like, you know, Hurricane Sandy and the recent double tornado, which claimed American lives. You know, that's uh, that's just what will happen more in the future. 
So it's no explanation, just some logical fallacies. And uh, yeah, it's not really a good way to promote this kind of um, policy demands. And the, the object of that kind of statement is just give us power and we'll, right. we'll use it judiciously or, or wisely. But it's, it's an argument for power. It's not an argument for a specific policy. And that, that's a lot of the reason for the lack of specific explanation uh, of anything. Um, all right. So we are out of time today. Hopefully that was valuable. Um, we will talk to all of you soon. Uh, any feedback, feel free to email me at alex at industrialprogress.net. Stefan, thanks for joining me. Thank you.